You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. John chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. We're continuing a sermon series that I've entitled Our Lord's Triumph. Our Lord's Triumph. And this is part three, which I've entitled Coronation. Coronation. Queen Elizabeth II was crowned on June 2nd, 1953, in a lavish ceremony steeped in traditions that date back a millennium. A thousand dignitaries and guests attended the coronation at London's Westminster Abbey. The preparation inside the abbey took five months. Hundreds of millions listened on the radio and watched the proceedings on live television. The ceremony is performed by the Archbishop of Canterbury, the most senior cleric in the Church of England. The Queen is anointed with holy oil. She is vested with the symbols of office and then crowned Queen. She receives the homage of her subjects. And then after the ceremony, millions of spectators cheer as she passes along a five-mile procession route in a horse-drawn carriage. Later, she appears on the balcony of Buckingham Palace before attending a banquet there. Extremely lavish, isn't it? In last week's Bible passage, Jesus instructed us that His kingdom is not of this world. He did not come to rule by force, but by truth. He did not come to rule by rebelling against the government, but instead by sacrificing Himself lovingly for us. So what kind of coronation does a king like Jesus have? If we have an idea of Queen Elizabeth's coronation, what is a king who doesn't have a kingdom that's of this world, what does his coronation look like? Roman law at the time of Jesus prohibited treason against the Roman Empire, but it had no problem with wandering philosophers. And that's probably what Pilate thought Jesus was. He's a wandering teacher. How can he be any harm to the Roman Empire? From Pilate's perspective, he had no reason to condemn or execute Jesus. And so Pilate was disappointed. His attempts to escape responsibility for Jesus failed. The crowd had called for the release of Barabbas, if you remember this from last week, over Jesus. And so now Pilate is going to attempt another chance of dodging the responsibility as to whether what does Pilate say about him? What will Pilate do with this so-called King Jesus? And let's look how Pilate capitulates to the crowd. And it answers the question of how Jesus was crowned. Let's look in John chapter 19 verse 1. This is after they just asked for the release of Barabbas over Jesus. He says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns 
and put it on his head and clothed them with a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hell, King of the Jews! And were slapping his face. The first thing that I want you to write down in your notes and to meditate on me with me this morning is this. Jesus was crowned with humiliation. Jesus was crowned with humiliation. Roman soldiers usually administered this punishment of flogging. The person being punished would be stripped naked and then tied to a post for the beating. Roman law allowed flogging until the soldiers grew tired. There were three levels of flogging that was recognized by the Romans. The first was simply painful but not debilitating. The second level was a whipping but not necessarily unto death. And the third level was the most severe. This level of flogging was not used against a prisoner until they were sentenced to execution. The third level was administered with a leather thong embedded with pieces of lead, sharp bones, or spikes. According to Josephus, he was a Palestinian historian at the time, or after Jesus, immediately after Jesus. He says that a flogging could break a person's back strip the skin off, and leave him with his entrails exposed. It often killed the person. The idea was to beat them half to death and then hasten their expiration of death on the cross. No doubt, when Jesus is finally sentenced to die by crucifixion, he's pre prepared for crucifixion in this way. He would have experienced the severest form of flogging, the last one. John tells us that the flogging here that Jesus underwent happened before Pilate sentenced Jesus. So more than likely there were two floggings, two scourgings. And this first one that's presented in John chapter 19 verses 1 would probably be the lightest level because we see that Jesus is still able to, to walk and to come forward. But by the time he picks up his cross, if you know the story, he's not able to carry it all the way to Calvary. The reason I point out all of that is I want to remind you of a prophecy by the prophet Isaiah that was made 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Just listen to these four sections of verses. Isaiah 50 verse 6, he's talking about the suffering servant, which we identify as the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the Son of God. Listen to what Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. Written 700 years before Jesus lived. Isaiah 52, 13 through 14 says this, See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were appalled at you. His appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. And his form did not resemble a human being. That the beating this suffering servant would receive would so disfigure him, he wouldn't even have the appearance of a man anymore. He'd be beat that bad. 
Isaiah 53, 5 begins to tell us the significance of those beatings and those stripes for us. It says this, But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We'll look at that more in a minute. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, the apostle Peter the leader of the early church, he picks up on this idea that Isaiah prophesied earlier in reference to Jesus. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. I just want you to see what Jesus endured, the hum humiliation that he endured is for your benefit. Let that sink in. This flogging He took for you. Notice the next part of it. There was a crown of thorns. They forced this on Jesus' head and it was probably woven from the long spike-like thorns of a date palm. They're exceedingly sharp to the touch. They can easily puncture thick plastics today. That's to say nothing of the flesh of Jesus. Some have suggested that they use these long spiked thorns as the impression of the radiance coming from a crown that the emperor of eastern rulers portrayed on coins. If the date palm was used, I want you just to think about it. If they used the thorns from a date palm, this is so mesmerizing, there's a further irony, because just remember, that same tree yielded the palm branches that was used to hail Jesus as king just five days earlier. They laid him on, in front of his donkey as he rode into Jerusalem, victorious, and then that same tree would bear the thorns for this crown. That tells you something about humanity. The thorns are, are on his head there because of our sin. I want you to think about the thorns for a minute and take your mind all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. When God created man, he created them good and upright and gave them this amazing environment to live in. I've often said it this is, they worked where they vacationed and vacationed where they worked. It was idyllic. And isn't it interesting that when Adam sinned against God, he broke God's law, he rebelled against them, became his enemy, became a criminal under God's law. Listen to one of the curses that God put on the world because of Adam, our sin. It says this in Genesis 3.18. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Do you know up until sin there were no thorns on this earth? And then we sin, and what does the earth begin to produce? Thorns. And it's those thorns that are wrapped around Jesus' head. Those thorns are on Jesus' head because of you and me. And can I just pause for a minute? I, I believe this biblically. God created this world amazingly idyllic. It's paradise, right? And the devastation and destruction and diseases, they don't enter the world until we sin as humanity. A collective group. The virus that runs through the world today, ultimately the source isn't from God. It's our rebellion against God. And if that is something you fear, 
we live under the skies of a holy God. It pales in comparison. We should all ter be terrified of God if our sins haven't been forgiven. But Jesus shows us the love of God, and what does He do? He bears the consequences of what? Our sin. The thorns go on His head. The purple robe was used in mockery. It was flung around Jesus to give him the comic appearance of being clad with the emperor's robe. Purple was the color of royalty. The purple robe that the soldiers put on Jesus may have been a faded scarlet soldier's robe or it could have been an old rug. I need you to get that. You understand they, they are making light of him. He is supposed to look hilarious, demeaning, humiliated. This is the coronation of our king. And why was Jesus, why, did, why was a rug thrown around Jesus? Isaiah 61.10, again, Isaiah prophesies about why this would happen. Listen to this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. He wore this purple robe of mockery so that you can be robed with salvation and the righteousness of God. He's doing all of this for you and me. And then the insults. Hell, King of the Jews. These taunts were likewise a caricature of the revered address to the Roman emperor, Hell Caesar. Here they mock Jesus. Instead of the homage paid to Caesar, which would have been the bended knee or sometimes the kiss of allegiance, the soldiers instead, they don't bend their knee in submission to Jesus. They don't kiss the hand of Jesus. What do they do? They slap Him repeatedly over and over again in contempt. I want you to think on this, meditate on this, how solemn it is to think of the Son of God being slapped by the hands of His creatures. That's the Creator enduring the slap of His creatures. That is His love for us. Mouths that were formed to praise Him are being used to mock Him. And what did He do? He endured it. He let it happen. How was Jesus crowned? Jesus was crowned with humiliation. Let's look at the next verse, verses 4 through 6. It says this, Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priest and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. The second thing we see in this text, and you write it down in your notes, Jesus was crowned as the man. 
And the way I have it in my notes is it's man with a capital M. Jesus was crowned as the man. See, here's what's happening. Still convinced that Jesus was innocent. Pilate had hoped. Again, he's trying to shift the responsibility. I don't want to do anything with Jesus. I want somebody else to decide for me. So he wants the crowd to be satisfied with just a little bit of blood. Pilate went, goes out to them, to the mob, and he announces that he's about to bring Jesus out, that he still found him guilty. Could he possibly set him free? When Pilate has Jesus escorted outside, his point is this. He intends to display Jesus in cruel submission, bearing the marks of his punishment. Surely the crowd, here he would be on this balcony, right? Before all of the subjects. Surely when the crowd sees the disgust at the sight, they would feel some type of sympathy. There could possibly be no threat from this fellow. That's the point that, that Pilate's trying to get across. You're saying he's the king of the Jews. He's going to overthrow your nation and come against the Roman Empire. Look what we just did to him. You really think he's a threat? So Jesus comes out in his pathetic robe, that rug. He was a sorry sight. He'd been beaten. His face was bruised. And there's blood oozing from a crown of thorns. And Pilate says, here is the man. From the precedence of classical Greek examples, it can literally be translated, the poor man. Or that creature. Pilate was saying, look at this poor, bruised, bleeding creature. How can you possibly believe this man is a king? Pilate was not saying this out of contempt for Jesus, but to show he was no threat. Surely the people would see this pathetic fight, sight and find compassion on Jesus. But Pilate's approach totally fails. It completely backfires. Pilate had shown them the beginning of blood, and they wanted more. And so what do they chant? Crucify, crucify. Pilate calls back to them saying, in effect, if you want to crucify him, do it yourself. I find nothing to warn it. Again, he's shifting the blame. And he knows they can't have him executed. He's the governor. He's trying to avoid any responsibility. Here's what I want you to think about. When Pilate says, here is the man. Y'all, this is amazing. Pilate said more than he ever knew. God had become a man. And he looked like this. Do you remember that? God beat, whipped, bruised, a crown of thorns placed on God's head, a, a, a robe, a rug wrapped around his shoulders. And he says, here is the man. We know he is the God-man. And he did this for you. Jesus is, in reality, the man, the incarnate word and glory of God. Listen to how John explained him previously in the book. John 1.14 says this, The word, that's what John likes to call Jesus, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. To see Jesus is to see God. 
John 1.18, it says this, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. Yo, this is the coronation of God Himself. It, nothing, nobody, no king has ever been crowned like this, with this kind of humiliation. And John 8.28 said this, So Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know I am He. He always liked to say, I am. And I, that I do nothing of my own, but just as the Father taught me, I say these things. When you see me put up on that cross, you'll realize what's really going on. How was Jesus crowned? He was crowned with humiliation, and He was crowned as the man. So what? Why? Please, please, you and I have sinned against God. The penalty for our sin is death. And that's not just separation from body and soul. That is separation from creature and creator. We deserve the wrath and judgment of God. But when Jesus, God the Son, was nailed to the cross, God the Father, here's what the act of grace and love is, He charged all our sins to Jesus. And He judged our sins in Jesus. Do you get that? Write this down. Here's why Jesus came and was crowned with humiliation. This is why Jesus came and became a man. Jesus was crowned for our sins. That's the motivation behind this. Jesus is putting himself out there to eradicate your sin and my sin. To erase it so that we can be brought back home to God. Can I give you just an image? The Bible only gives us one brief description of what Jesus looks like, and it's in apocalyptic literature. It's meant to make you see symbols of the grandeur of God. And John saw it, this is the same man who wrote this gospel, saw it in Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. You ready to hear just a, a, like a, a way, a metaphor of looking at Jesus in His glory? Listen to this. And among the lampstand was one like the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite nickname for himself, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. That's who the Son of God is. And then I want you to think of that picture and then put it into John 19. And this is where we get Philippians 2. When Jesus said, When being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That same person became king and a man crowned with humiliation for your sin and my sin. And I'm glad the story doesn't end there. If he just dies on the cross, he proves he's just human like you and I. Church, my Bible tells me three days later, God justified him, said, you're wrong, Pilate. He's innocent. He's the king. 
That's why Philippians goes on to say, Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. Hell, Jesus. I mean, that's the point. He's right. So what does that have to do with you and me? He is the only way. He is the only way. You really believe, you really believe for one second. I know in our society, in our pluralistic society, we want to say there's multiple ways of God. There's only one God. He gave up his one son one time. You really think he's going to accept any other way. You're really going to think the Father sent his son to be crowned with humiliation, to die on a Roman rugged cross for our sins and goes, I'll do whatever you want. He's not. He is not. The only thing that we have is to come to him and bow before him just like we're all going to do one day. But in this period of grace is to come and say, I'm a sinner. I deserve the, the exact same judgment Jesus received. But, and here's the beautiful thing, by faith we trust that what Jesus did on the cross, bearing the humiliation, bearing the shame, bearing all, this, all of our sins charged against him, that if we trust Jesus, God will forgive us. He will erase all of our sin for eternity. I want you to think of it like this. Because Jesus emptied himself, you can be full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Because Jesus emptied himself of his glory, you can be filled with the Spirit of God. He can come in and change your life. He did this for you. Because he became a servant. He came, God came down and served humanity. We can be free from sin. We're no longer enslaved to that. Because he became mortal, God put on flesh, we can become immortal. Ain't that an awesome message in our day? We can become incorruptible. No longer sick. No longer subject to decay, disappointment, or death. Because Jesus became a man, we get to become sons and daughters of God the Father. Because he humbled himself, we've been elevated to the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Because he was obedient, our disobedience may be forgiven. Because he died, we get to live again. Because he was crucified, we can crucify our sinful desires. And because of the name of Jesus, we get to enjoy God now and forever. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.